Welcome once again to the Irish in Sweden podcast. My name is Philip O'Connor, coming to you from my little studio near Sankt Eriksplan in the Swedish capital of Stockholm, which is where an awful lot of things in the Irish community happen, but not everything, boys and girls. There's a load of stuff going on in Javla and in Malmö and in Gothenburg and in Karlstad and wherever you're having yourself. I hope you're well. Uh, I hope you're following me on social media, right? Because I'm going to be popping out a few uh, pictures that Gary Lavelle sent to me today. Um, if you were listening a couple of weeks back, Gary was on uh, the podcast talking about his company, um, QS Consult, which he started and you know, in an effort to uh, in, introduce the concept of quant- quantity surveyors to uh, big Swedish construction projects. But he was also talking about a, a charity uh, drive that he was doing for a charity called Garrod Smile back in Ackle Island, where he's from in County Mayo. And uh, today, as I'm recording this, I'm recording this on Saturday, and it'll be out on Monday morning. But Gary did his amazing Three Peaks challenge and climbed three peaks above in Orla uh, towards Östersund, that part of the country there. And to be honest, when he was talking to me about it, I thought, Jesus, this fella's mad, you know, like, but, uh, you know, it's over 3,000 metres in total above sea level from the three peaks. And he did it, and he'd done two of them by about lunchtime when he was texting me. And then he sent me the last uh, the last view from the third peak there. So 37,500 steps and that kind of thing. There's still a GoFundMe uh, going on, right? So if you can find it on my social media, you'll probably find it in the show notes here if I remember to put it on. And if you'd like to contribute, because it's a, it's a great effort that he put in for that charity. And that charity helps... Uh, families it helps them with uh, respite care it helps them you know with little vacations to take the pressure off because uh, you know if you have a child who's suffering from a very serious illness uh, you could probably do with that kind of help so fair play to Gary not one bit surprised lads it's fantastic character altogether this is exactly the kind of thing that he's doing so um, it's you know he's just a fantastic bloke and an incredible achievement for him to get that done so if you do have uh, the opportunity to go in and throw a few bob in, I'm sure the GoFundMe is going to be active for another little while. There's a lot going on. I believe there's Gaelic football coming up down in Copenhagen. I don't know if Stockholm is going to manage to send a team down. I won't be able to go down because uh, my daughter is graduating this week, so we're going to have visitors from Ireland, and there's all sorts of things going on. And now it's summer, so we're all out of hibernation. The shorts are on, God love us, and our milk bottle legs going mad for it. But that's the way it works in this country. Nobody's ashamed of that certainly not for the first few weeks anyway and we'll get out and we'll enjoy it uh, I hope the lads from Yavlin from Lulium from wherever else can make it down and play a bit as well because um, when these clubs go to the trouble of putting on tournaments as Hildred and Copenhagen are doing down below in Copenhagen uh, it's always great to get out and support them you know we've had one or two we had a European tournament many years ago where a whole bunch of clubs basically didn't show up which is a bit unfortunate now I know Sweden's an expensive place to play but there you go <coughs> Um, there is another event going on, and actually it'll be the subject of next week's podcast, right? But the Irish, uh, the Swedish Irish Society are organising a trip to Keane's Brewery here in Leedinga in Stockholm. And I was in touch with Ivan Keane last night, actually, and I'm going to go and pay them a visit next week. And, uh, you know, like, push a little bit now. There's, like, you know, there's a beer tasting and everything, obviously, after the um, the trip to the, bu- the brewery, and you'll see what's done. So I'm going to go and do that little bit and try to whet the appetite, if you will, for those of you who are around Stockholm. I think that's taking place on the 15th of June, but there will be more of that uh, next week when I have the podcast done. So we go out and do a little bit of podcasting around there. Now, I got a message there the other week. I think it was around one of the bank holidays. There's about 56 bank holidays in the months of April, May and June, so I can't keep up with them, right? 
But I was sitting there one day anyway, and I got uh, a message from my old friend Mark Rattigan down below in Malmo. Malmo is one of the, it's obviously the great rivals in Gaelic football to the Stockholm Gales. And Mark would have played in the first couple of seasons when we were getting going down there. And myself and Mark would have had a right crack uh, of one another when we were doing that, you know. Uh, especially in the first season, you know. Now, Mark has a bunch of kids down there, that kind of thing, stopped playing. And then he was infected with golf, as tends to happen to a lot of lads in the GEA. But I got the message of Mark anyway. And... He says to me, I'm sitting here with my sister-in-law, Anna, and Anna has a book coming out. And I says, I know, because they tagged me in something on Facebook where she's doing a reading in a tea room, right? And I'd been trying to get in touch with her, and I sort of sent her a message and that kind of thing. Now, I'm one of these online people, right? I'd be sitting there, my phone does be buzzing 24-7, and I answer everything very quickly. And I'm fully conscious that not everybody does that. Not everybody checks their Instagram every 20 seconds, or their Twitter, or their MySpace, or whatever the bloody hell you're having yourself. There's so many of them, that's what takes me, it's almost a full-time job, you know? So sure enough, anyway, I says to him, um, I says, give Anna my number there and we get her on to talk about her book. So Anna is married to uh, to Mark's brother. Yeah, I have to keep, keep me P's and Q's right here now because it could start a terrible controversy down below there in Malmo. So uh, Mark would be her brother-in-law. And um, yeah, so I got in touch with her. And we set up a little call, and we said we'd talk about the book. Now, the book is in Swedish. It's called Odödli Jod. Uh, I can't work out what the best way to uh, to translate that is, but I was going to say Immortal Ground but it might be a good one. It could be Immortal Earth is another one. But uh, it's a sort of a, a fantasy novel, little bit science fiction-y, you know, whatever you're having yourself, right? So it's not a straight-up, you know, it's not a detective novel or that kind of thing, right? Even though it is very exciting. So there's little elements of fantasy in there as well, that kind of thing. And uh, so I decided to get on on the podcast just to talk about, you know, uh, marrying into the Rattigan family, the amazing lads of the Rattigan family, and just to talk about the process of writing the book. And one of the things that came out, which was absolutely fascinating uh, to me, was that Anna, when she was in school, uh, Anna has dyslexia and that's one of those things that um, I suppose I don't know if it's an old-fashioned way to look at it lads but I always think that Jesus you know that must make things very very difficult indeed I don't have that condition myself so I don't know what it's like at all uh, to, to, to to live with it or to try to work or to try to read or whatever it is you're trying to do so I couldn't have any understanding of it really you know so it was fascinating to hear that and to hear how it's not something that Anna let get in her way either when it comes to enjoying reading or when it comes to sort of everything else uh, around it, you know, to writing our own books and that kind of thing. So um, let's have a little chat anyway with Anna Sivanius Rattigan, and I'll be back to wrap it all up when we're done here talking. Enjoy! The first question that I have to ask you, because we're going to get to your book very soon, uh, Immortal Earth, I think it's called, or, is it, or Immortal Ground might be a better translation of it. But you are married to a Meath man named Ian Rattigan. Is that right? That, that's right, yeah. How did that's that come about? Well, uh, back in 97, I decided that uh, I was a bit fed up with Sweden. So I just decided to move. And I got into a course in Dublin, so I started studying English. And then I started working in a bar and I got into a big company called America Online and I was doing Swedish customer support. And that's where I met Ian. And he was just out of college, so we were very young. I was 21, he was 20. And uh, we've been together since. So 
it's a long time ago. <laughs> and how long did it take before you dragged them by the hair back to Skåne and Østerlen and the south of Sweden? Uh, I'd say it took about a year, a year and a half, probably. Just that wasn't long yeah. at all. <laughs> no, it wasn't long at all. And he was actually, he was just a bit fed up with his job. And he thought, ah, there's probably plenty of uh, opportunities over there. Because uh, we knew that uh, Ericsson was looking for people and he was in the, you know, IT and tech industry. So, mm. and he did. So he was, he was unemployed for three weeks and then he had a job in Ericsson in Lund. So he was lucky and then he stayed. So, yeah. and of course, the way we know each other is through Ian's brother, Mark, who was a great Gaelic footballer from Malmo uh, back in the day. Has a, he's more of a golfer now, I believe, but I won't go into that. He knows how much I don't like to golf. And, and Mark <laughs> then, obviously, so like it's very unusual to have two brothers from the same family meeting two Swedes and living not too far from each other down there, is it? I I know, I know. I think it's our fault as well that Mark actually ended up here because uh, he came over on a working holiday like years and years ago and... Uh, well, he started dating a, a girl and uh, that's it. And they have two kids and the oldest now, she'll be 17 in July right. and the other one will be 11 in September. So we have, we call them Swirish cousins because the Swedish <laughs> and the Irish. So we have Swirish cousins. And uh, yeah, Mark is coming out to me later on here this afternoon after work to, uh, and the Irish Nana is visiting as well. So it's all the, the Swirish relations are, going strong here <laughs> brilliant you can tell the summer is coming when they're firing up the barbecues down below in the south of sweden and the swirish oh, community gosh. are getting out there that kind of thing oh absolutely <laughs> um, i believe your background is am i right in saying that your background is also in psychology it wasn't just customer support you were doing for AOL, oh, God, yeah. but you're actually i suppose that helps when you're dealing with me people does it to be a qualified psychologist i'd say it does yeah i mean i don't know if it would last this long if i didn't have all that training as well <laughs> <laughs> how did but, you get into no. that was that something you wanted to do when you were in school or was it just something you, you sort of fell into no um i think i always kind of had an interest for you know psychology since i studied it in uh in school mm. um but it was actually you know what it's kind of weird it was actually a i had a bad manager in ireland and well, there's no shortage just, of them huh? <laughs> <laughs> and I just got so annoyed and I thought you know what I can do that job a lot better but then uh, not not being a manager but actually you know being the one supporting the manager to do mm. a better job so I got interested in HR mm. and I actually had a plan when we moved back then myself and Ian to back to Skåne my plan was actually to study HR then and uh, become like a HR manager or something. Mm. Um, but I decided on the on the path there that maybe psychology, maybe just, you know, actually go into it for real. And then I can work with HR if I want to. Mm. So I managed to get into the program. It's very hard to get in, actually. Uh, so I had to do a little bit of, you know, a prep course and and studies. Uh, so I was 20 almost 25 actually by the time I started university in Lund but then I I did my five years and got my master's in uh, psychology then and decided that no I'll actually go for the full training as a psychologist so I did that um, and I haven't changed uh, the interest I'm still you know I still work supporting managers that's what I do that's actually uh, Mm. I don't take clients now I don't do patients my job is actually solely to support managers and staff working in, you know, supporting them in their work environment. So, you so sort that's of come, what I do. 
you come full circle from that young woman moving to Ireland, yeah. moving to Dublin and being in that position. You know, it's one of those things that has always struck me as being it's almost the biggest cost a business has can be some idiot not managing people the right way exactly. and making people feel bad. Now, when you go to help these companies, Anna, how do you do it? Do you go in there and sort of assess? Do you talk to people? Do you do, you know, Google Docs polls, this kind of thing, or, or doodle polls and ask them what's going on? How do you work out what a company needs from you? Well, I mean, that can be part of it. If It depends as well on the company, if how aware they are that they actually need the help. Mm. Some companies, they, they, you know, the, you know the way companies do yearly polls yeah. and it might come out that, oh, we didn't realize that our staff didn't, you know, weren't happy in here. So, and it comes as a surprise or maybe they know some of it. And then they get a, pe- a person like me, a consultant with my background to come in and do interviews and to write reports and to come with suggestions to say, look, um, people are just not happy with, you know, the way they're getting treated by their you know, their operational management or uh, they think that, uh, you know, information in this company isn't transparent enough. So then they get a program where they have to work on those uh, issues that, you know, comes out in the report. And they need somebody sometimes to come in who doesn't have any clue about the company, who is not, you know, colored by by the culture in there. Uh, And I don't have to be afraid, you know, I don't have to be afraid. Oh, if I say this, I'll get sacked, you know, so I can be honest. Um, so that's one perk. And then, I mean, part of it is to just managers, they contact me uh, or the company that I do my consultancy through. And um, they say, look, I just have issues. I just don't really know where to start. I just need somebody to help me prioritize and to, you know, understand what's going on. Um, I'm getting I'm getting criticism left, right and center. I don't really know how to handle it. So then we kind of, you know, we map it all out and we make a plan and I might see them say 10 sessions or individually. And it can also be groups of managers within the same place. Um, one of those things that I always found, like Sweden's culture, uh, especially in the workplace, is an awful lot different. So Irish people coming over here, we're actually talking on uh, one of those clem dog, right? One of those squeeze days yeah. when most people wouldn't be working. But you and me, we work for ourselves. So we'll do things like this rather than just go straight to the barbecue, right? It's often exactly. very difficult, Anna, to say to somebody in Sweden, you made a mistake. You There's no confrontation. You like We'd rather say mistakes were made. And, you know, but how do you find that then in terms of getting people, which I believe is something important in psychology, to take responsibility for their own actions and their feelings? Is that very difficult in Sweden, do you think? You know, or would it be easier to do the kind of work you do in Ireland? Because you can tell people, look, at I think you're an Egypt kind of thing. I'm not really sure. I would think I would have had, I would have, because the younger self uh, that used to work in Ireland had a completely different perspective mm. of, work and work life and you know ethics and values and all that I think I would have have to I would actually have to go over again as as an adult you know as a real adult with my degree and uh, see the differences but I mean of course talking to people I can see differences and uh, doing the comparisons um or making the comparisons I'd say yes it is a little bit difficult to just tell people bluntly that you look you uh, or such and such, or you, you've made mistakes here. Um, it kind of has to be a little bit wrapped around and you have to give people options, you know, people mm. options to, to, um, to improve. You can't just 
say, okay, you don't suit this place. You, you're actually, we, we're going to sack you. That, that doesn't, it doesn't work like that over here. Mm. You have to give people the benefit of a doubt. You have to have a plan then to improve. Uh, you have to have the sit downs. You have to have the union and the, mm. you know, and your HR. So it is a longer process if you, if you do think that you have an employee that doesn't suit your company, it's it's hard to get rid of people. And that sounds awful. I don't mean get rid, but you know what I mean, like to, to actually uh, to tell people that maybe you're not suited. Yeah. It is tough. I'd say, I mean, my husband used to work after he was in Ericsson. He was over in uh, Copenhagen for a few years and he thought he thought it was a huge difference just going across the water, you know, 20 minute uh, drive just over the water you can sack people there. You can go into people and say, look, you, we don't really find that what you're doing is suitable here or you're not up to standards. It's a different culture. So, um, yeah, the, it is the, a little bit softer. Yeah, the Danes are a lot more blunt as well. I remember thinking that yeah. the first time I went down there uh, to, to work and that kind of thing, and I thought, Jesus, you know, they are much more forward than what Swedish people are, you know. Yeah. Uh, what what makes a good manager? And the reason I'm asking is because the Irish Chamber of Commerce in Sweden, a lot of people uh, who are members of that listen to this podcast, a lot of people who work in, in Enterprise Ireland and the, uh, the embassy, and a lot of business people as well. You know, I'm sure, you know, they'd love the chance to ask somebody like yourself, what makes a good manager of people, right? It's one thing to manage targets and all that kind of but What do you mm-hmm. think are the essential qualities there, Anna? Well, you have to be a good listener. I know that we're talking about the soft side again. I think you have to be you have to be prepared to take a little bit of criticism from your staff and to actually listen to them. Uh, you may have the path clear in what you want. You have the vision and all, and you know your targets and what you need to to do. Um, but you have to have the, the 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 staff on board on that, and you need to listen, and you need to share mistakes. You need to be able to talk about your own mistakes and to talk about the team's mistakes to create that safe atmosphere where people feel that it's okay if I actually didn't, you know, completed in time or. You might have a reason for it, but you have to be able to talk about that. It doesn't mean that uh, you have to agree with everything that your staff would say, but you have to have an open climate. So if you can create that kind of feeling of safety and feeling of reassurance that it is a team here, we will help out. Um, And also to kind of, you know, encourage when everybody, I mean, for you, for example, say if you find it hard to talk in front of people, we know you don't because you have a podcast, but if you did and the rest of your teammates then would think that, oh, well, that's a piece of cake. I mean, it doesn't bother me at all. But you see that that team member is doing a big presentation at a big meeting Mm. and the person is nervous and goes in and does a fairly good job, you know, gets gets the message across. You mightn't be brilliant, but it's still, you know that that person did that and didn't sleep the night before Mm. you have to go in then as a manager and really push that oh god you were brilliant thank you so much for doing this i know it cost you a lot of uh, energy to go in and do it and and i know you were nervous but thank you you did a brilliant job instead of just thinking okay yeah well he did his job so why would i go in and say thank you now you know Mm. it's expected in this role Mm. if you have that kind of mindset you lose the people that are kind of they need that little bit extra because yeah. that was very tough for that person to go in and do it. So you need to be you need to pay, pay attention to those variations in your team and with your staff. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So some managers are really good at doing that. And I think they also get a safer environment uh, for their staff because that person now will be encouraged. And the next time, it probably won't feel as bad to go in and do the same thing again. Um, yeah. that, that drives me mad when people take it for granted. Oh, you know, you have that job. And you know, Roy Keane, yeah, footballer, says, yeah. well, that's your job, you know, so you shouldn't be getting any extra credit for it. But it costs very little, you know, for you or me yeah. to say to somebody, look, at you did really well there. I thought that exactly. was so difficult for you, you know, to get onto it. Um, one of your sort of hidden talents, or it was hidden until very recently, or maybe even this Sunday, I think, is when the book is being published, was for yeah. writing. Um, am I right in saying that writing has been always a part of your life? Has it always been something you wanted to do was to write a book? Well, it was actually, it was, it's been on and off. I, I think what started it was when I was in ninth grade over here, then so I was going 15 or going 16. Yeah, yeah. And there, around that. Um, I won my school's, um, it was like a, an essay competition, like mm -hmm. a, a free writing mm -hmm. um, competition in school. Uh, so I, I got a prize in front of the whole school at the, at the summer, you know, when I was leaving that, um, that yeah. year. And uh, I was very nervous about that. I was very shy. I had big, you know, uh, big braces and glasses. And I just I wasn't one of the popular ones, you know, so I was kind of going up there. Well, and were you surprised the to win, Anna? Or did you think I'd be with a chance very, here? Were you? I, I was very surprised because um, I have another thing as well. I, I'm dyslexic. And uh, um, that, I think it, my spelling was never great, you know. So I always used to get kind of from the teachers, oh, you're spelling, you're spelling. And I never was one of those that had full points on my Swedish tests and all that. But writing a story and telling a story was something I could do. And the jury, that's what the jury saw. Uh, so they didn't really care about the spelling. I had a lot of red, mar you know, mm. you know, red text in the in the text, but they loved the story. So that's what I actually uh, won the prize for. So that something happened there. It's like, oh, I can actually tell a story. Mm. So it's been with me then ever since. And I've had little ideas I've written down and, you know, my notebooks over the years, little plots and ideas. And, and then... A couple of years ago, during the pandemic, I just decided that I had a friend or have a few friends who are into writing. And one of them said, look, I, I know this author, uh, Caroline Ingvall, and her uh, colleague, Anna Carolina. Uh, they are just starting an online author's program. Uh, you should join it. Uh, they're doing a fr free webinar on Sunday. You should go in and have a look and see what the story is with that one. So I did, and I got so inspired. These two women, they're fairly famous and mm. uh, very good authors. And they were just so down to earth and welcoming. And I thought, oh, maybe, you know, uh, writing doesn't have to be, you know, up there with all the cultural uh, uh, elite, you know. Writing yeah. can actually be quite plain and simple. Oh, plain and simple saying that, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, so... I joined it and it was the best thing ever. I just got into it and I loved the online courses and you could do it at your own pace uh, and you did little tests and you sent them in then to the teachers. But the modules, they were like online, so I didn't have to mind a specific time or anything. Hmm. So I was doing it at my own pace. And uh, yeah, I got to Then we were visiting this castle on Österlen and... Uh, I always liked Stephen King when mm. I was a, a teenager, so I read a lot of him. 
and his books and uh, a few other. I know it was Cecilia or Hearn. She wrote a book called, um, what's it called? The Book About Tomorrow or something. Yeah, Bertie's daughter. Uh, I can't say I've read any of yeah, my books, but I know yeah, who she is. Yeah, there's a little, little bit of supernatural in that as well. And it's, yeah. it's about a castle. And I love that book. And so that was in the back of my head as well. And so I just put a few things together. And we go down quite a bit to Waterford, apart from being a lot up in Meath, of course, because mm. uh, we have relations down there. And they came over for the book release party last weekend. So they were just here. And... Uh, I love old castles. So Claire, my my sister-in-law, she brought me to, or she tipped me off on Loftus Hall down in Wexford, the most haunted castle in Ireland. Uh, she told me, they do ghost tours. You should do one of those. So I did. And a few years ago, um, before it was sold again. And that was so exciting. It was so spooky. And there was definitely something in there. I mean, I don't really know if I believe in ghosts as such, but it was yeah. just so eerie and so freaky we saw an orb flying across the ceiling and it was just so weird so that was with me as well so yeah I just had a few ideas for a story and I started putting them together so I got Skåne I got Ireland Waterford Wexford all the bits that I love <laughs> all the uh, parts of my life where I spend a lot of time yeah. and uh, yeah I made up this character she's partly based on maybe my younger self when I used to do horse riding and then bits and pieces from people I know and people I know of who do horse riding in competitions and show jumping and families I've met over the years in Ireland and over here who are into horses and you know people who live in castles and yeah I just made up this story about a family so uh, and a, a long uh, kind of complex bond between Skåne and Ireland that goes back 300 years. Yeah. And uh, this, is, this is the first book in a trilogy, right? So you've sort of uh, given a hostage to fortune there and said that you're going to write two more books. Is this yeah. the continuation? Have you already started writing those other two mm -hmm. books or were you concentrating on getting the this the first one out of the way? Well, I mean, I was focusing a lot on getting this one out, of course, and getting a, a deal and everything. But now I have started writing this, the sequel. Uh, so I, I kind of have a, a bit of a soft deadline in August mm -hmm. uh, with a publisher to see if I can actually manage to get the whole story together. If if I want to release it exactly one year after mm -hmm. uh, the first one, and that's recommended. So we'll see if I can keep that uh, de deadline. It could be a busy summer uh, ahead. Come here to me. Uh, it will be. It will be very busy. Yeah. When you were doing that, um, the, the, like the, you mentioned the word sort of, you know, the, the cultural elite and that kind of thing, right? Because often when we as readers of books and then we see things in bookshops and that kind of thing and we think, Jesus, I could never do that. You know, who am I to be going doing that? You know, oh, yeah, yeah. And, and then you realize that, hang on a second, right? These are people like you and me, you know? And it yeah. seems to me that you, once you realize that, that that bar wasn't as high as what you thought it was, you know, mm -hmm. that must be a very liberating thing to think that I can Definitely. do this too, you know? What did you Absolutely. learn most from the two writers that worked with those workshops? Did you learn the sort of the technical things about it, about dialogue, about building character and plot mm -hmm. and that kind of thing? Were they the things you took away or was it that sense of self-confidence? Hang on a second, I'll get to that. I've read enough books now to know what I'm doing. What did you take from it? It was actually both. It was a bit of both because the course was built up in a way that um, 
you got to do little exercises mm. to kind of build up your confidence one by bit by bit. You know, we worked on dialogues and then you got feedback on that and you worked on how to write a synopsis for a story. And then we got feedback on that and then how to build characters. And we worked and we got feedback on that or I did. And uh, I think it, it built up my confidence and then getting the boost from two really good authors who definitely knows the story when they see one mm. and to get that, you know, to get the first, one of the first feedbacks I got was, um, oh, Anna, this story, storyline or the synopsis, it reminds, uh, reminds us about True Blood. And there's a little bit of, I can't remember if the other uh, comparison was uh, Let the Right One In, I think, you know, mm. the, the Swedish author. Um, and when I got a few of those, they, that really boosted me. I was like, oh, uh, my story is getting compared to really famous big stories mm. and uh, Netflix <laughs> productions. Yeah. And uh, of course, without getting big headed or anything, but it was, oh, but OK, maybe I do have something here. Yeah. So I started, you know, the confidence came with that because without, you know, without them being, um, it just came out so naturally from them. Oh, this reminds me of, True Blood. This reminds me of Let the Right One In. I think you should maybe make this character a little bit stronger. Yeah. Uh, this character here is really interesting. Uh, try to make it a bit more creepy. You know, work on yeah. the creepiness in this one. And I was like, okay, so if I tweak things, according mm. to these big authors, I actually have a story. Mm. And that kind of, you know, it got me going. Um, and then just using expertise along the way, I think was one big key mm. to not be afraid to let somebody else, even if it's a stranger to you, read your material and to get proper feedback, not just your husband or your mom, mother or whatever, you know. They have to tell you uh, they like it, don't they? They'd have to tell you anyway. So, you know, so to get, and I actually paid a few quid for that just to, you know, to get uh, proper feedback from people. Uh, in the in the business and that's really helps Anna, as well. just I, I really need to ask you there because one of the hardest things with any creative pursuit is that thing of feedback right both giving it and receiving it and mm. sometimes I was only talking to somebody this morning about that about you know the way you and I if we sit down to write something we understand what it is we're trying to say and then the other person reads it and maybe they don't get it now that's kind of mm -hmm. on us but when they tell us and it's kind of like a kick in the teeth at times you know there's the more negative feedback did you take that personally as criticism of you as a writer or were you able to keep that as criticism of the work so that you could develop it I maybe for a couple of seconds you know it hit mm. me uh harder um but no i mean i work with feedback as well in my profession yeah. and i train people in giving uh feedback so i kind of had that mindset that okay if i want to be you know oh i'm teaching people how to give uh, uh, feedback in a in a straight way and you know uh, I have to be able to take it as well now that even if this is my, as we call it in the, you know, in the visit, my book baby, I mm. still have to, I still have to be able to take it. So I actually tried to make it less personal. Yeah. Uh, and I was talking to these authors as well. And they said, you have to try to think about it as uh, the people who give you the feedback, they want your book baby's best. They don't really care as much as you as the tool. They want your book baby to thrive. 
So yeah. that's the way you kind of have to look at it. And that helped a lot uh, to actually think about it that way. It is my book baby uh, who I want to become as best as I call her she. I don't know, because my main character is a female, maybe. So my my book is a she. Uh, So I want her to thrive. Um, So that actually really helped. Uh, There was one editor. She was fairly rough. Uh, in the feedback she gave me, I thought at first, but then when I kind of understood what she was trying to do and when I had a, another dialogue with her and understood why she wrote the, the the criticism as harsh as she did, I kind of, you know, I had to swallow the pride a little bit and just mm. try to kind of go like that when I read it. I was like, oh, yeah. that's sharp. <laughs> so it can be then, tough. Okay. It is for the book, baby's best. So, okay, just ignore the tone. Just do what she says, you know. Yeah. So, uh, what did it feel like? Um, the first box of books that comes from the printers. Usually, your publisher will send you maybe twenty books that you can give out. You know, or you might have to write yeah. something on the the copies are being sent to the press. How did it feel for you? Uh, you know, to to reach the end of this process and to actually have your book, baby, as you call it, in your hand. Was that a very proud moment for you? It was a very proud moment. Um, absolutely. And at the same time, the timeline was so pressured at the time. Like I, there was so much going on. Yeah. So I think it took a little while. I had to kind of go into my office every now and then and just look at the, at the, at the boxes mm. and then opening them and looking into them. It's like, okay, there's actually 40 copies of my book in there and I can see it. And I, you know, I, I was, I have it here. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the oh, screen there, a yeah. bit blurred, a bit blurred. Anyway, yeah. uh, it's uh, I had to kind of go in and look at it, and okay, yeah, it does say Anna Sivenius Ratkin on it, so I did write it. That was actually me, last <laughs> yeah, it was actually me, <laughs> <laughs> so that was funny. Um, yeah. but yeah, the, the book release party last Friday when people came up, and people I haven't seen for years, you know, yeah. uh, because of the pandemic, partly as well. People just thought, Oh, party, let's let's meet up, you know. Yeah. So, people I haven't seen for maybe five or six years just showed up mm-hmm. and uh wanted to sign copies, so that was great. And then people were like, How does it feel? I was like, I don't know. I'm here now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm, yeah. Try, I'm trying, trying to kind of, you know. Well, it's another thing. That, like, there's no manual for these things. You're sitting there signing books no. and you can realize that, Jesus, I just sat down to write. I didn't know all of this was going to happen no. afterwards kind of thing, you know. No. Um, you're doing a, a book signing now on the 3rd of June, right? So that'll be a few yeah. days after this podcast comes out. And it's in a tea room down below there. In Is it in Ostelén or is it somewhere in, in northern Scotland? No, it is there? in Ostelén. Yeah, it's yeah. in it's a village called Brosa. And it's a little, uh, it's a little, it's a gift and tea shop called uh, Lady Morris Tea and Gift Shop. And it's in the in the middle of the village and it's owned by a couple. And they do, uh, they sell a lot of loose tea and, you know, delis, like um, chocolates, biscuits, yeah. all those kind of things that they miss from their years, you know, socializing and living over in England, Scotland, America partly as well. But mm. it's uh, the stuff they sell in the shop now would be from, you know, from the UK, but they wanted to expand and get a bit of Irish stuff into the shop now. So when I came in there and I saw that she was selling books, 
uh, I started looking and I could see that they took place in Scotland and mm-hmm. I think one was in England or whatever. I can't really remember the other books, but I just uh, went up to her because I had just got my box of, uh, you know, the book yeah. baby. So I was all excited. Uh, and I was just in there to get a present. So there was no, uh, I had no plan on asking. But then I saw the books and I went up and I started talking to Annette, the owner. And we started talking about my connection with Ireland. And she told me a little bit about her life. And she said, I'm really interested in that book now. So will you bring it in and I'll read the back and uh, we'll uh, we'll have a chat. So I went back the next day then and gave her a copy because I was staying over in the village. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, she bought 10 copies and she wants to try to sell it in the shop. And we talked about a book signing. And uh, I said to her, okay, well, you're going to have to bring in lion's tea. <laughs> so she's going to do that. <laughs> I have one thing that so, I want to cut off. Yeah. That's it. One thing I absolutely <laughs> have to have if we're going to do this. <laughs> so, and apparently they'd had requests for that before. So I think she's going to start selling lion's tea at any stage now. <laughs> that could be a million crown idea with Mark and Ian yeah, and all the other Irish uh, lads living exactly, down there. If could exactly. go up there for the lion's tea, you know. <laughs> if you don't mind me asking, right, because you mentioned earlier on the conversation about your dyslexia. Um, how yeah. does that manifest itself? Because obviously you read books as a youngster and when you wrote yourself, you couldn't maybe spell all that well, but you were well able to read. You didn't need any assistance in reading yourself, no? Or does it does it work out okay for you? Um, yes and no. I did read a lot as a, as a young, uh, young adult and uh, teenager. Uh, but my parents were good at, you know, keeping books alive at home. Uh, I think my mother realized when I was fairly young that I was a slow reader, but that I didn't actually have a problem understanding what I was reading. So I don't think they were too worried at home. Uh, And then I got, you know, in school, the teachers also throughout the year said, oh, she she stumbles, you know, when you know the way in schools, I don't know why they do that when you're so young. But oh, yeah, now it's time for everybody to read out loud. You know, you get like five sentences each. And every time I was like, oh, uh, 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 uh," you know, I was stumbling on all the words. So I had one teacher. She rang my parents and said, I think your daughter has a speech uh, impairment. Yeah. Uh, But later in life, it turned out, no, it's called dyslexia. So yeah, it was just that I, I got very nervous when I was reading out in the class. Yeah. And then, of course, the dyslexia would got worse. But no, I read slow. I'm still a slow reader. Uh, at university, I got some help. Um, I didn't have to take notes uh, during my classes. I had somebody else taking my notes so I could focus on the listening. Mm. Um, and when I had exams, I had a little bit longer, a couple of hours longer uh, when it was, you know, we were sitting down doing the tests and then um, when it was hand in assignments, I got a couple of days extra mm. to hand in my my written assignments. But that was the the really the only adjustments that I had. Uh, I just needed a bit longer to read and a little bit longer to write. And then there was nothing wrong with my papers. They mm. all passed. I didn't have to reset exams or anything. Mm. Uh, I just needed that extra time. Yeah. But I now I, I actually I'm getting into audiobooks, um, especially when I drive a car uh, and I get fed up with listening to the radio. I use uh, I listen to audiobooks. Yeah. Yeah, there's, yeah. A, there's a couple of great ones out there. I listened to um, Sinead O'Connor's autobiography and she read that herself. There's something about autobiographies who are read by the author that are absolutely brilliant. Yeah. 
apart from Eddie Izzard, who kept interjecting with new stuff that wasn't in the book at all, you know, when you're actually <laughs> writing your own books, uh, do you still find that, you know, because nowadays, I think basically every mistake, every spelling mistake I make in Word or Google Docs is underlined and there's a suggestion and, oh, did you mean this or that? Do you use tools like that to make it a sort of a, a better, in inverted commas, writer to, to check all those grammatical things? Or do you still uh, have an editor who goes through it with the red pen for you, so to speak? Uh, actually both I mean I, I use uh, I just use word and they would point out then of course grammatically hmm. incorrect sentences and spelling but then I also have uh, um, somebody who goes through yeah. and every all authors have that so yeah. even after the the editor has done the job of you know looking then there's actually an another person going in to mm. look at every single comma everything everything mm. to make sure that it's uh speak and span and still they miss you know they miss stuff so yeah. there's always going to be a little mistake uh in anyone's books you know that's it uh, that's it so we're only human when it comes to that do you find we're that only human when you got to the end of the the first book immortal ground is the name of swedish oh deadly oh um, did you find when you got to the end of it, you know, sometimes we can be very self-critical and you finish the book, right? And then you, you have a bit of space to it. And then say at the book launch last week and you open it up again, you read it and you go, oh, I wish I'd done this a little bit better or I wish I'd taken a little bit more time over that. You call it your book baby. Is it possible for you to just let it go now and move on to the next book? Or do you still look at it and go, oh, you know, if it comes out again, I'd love to change this or that kind of thing. Is it Because that's one of those things that people can sort of... Uh, what is it? You know, perfect is the enemy of good, as we say sometimes. Mm -hmm. You know, do you find yourself in that position with your books? I think at the moment I try to actually focus on the second one. Yeah. Uh, I probably will be like that in a while when this all, when the dust kind of, you know. Yeah. Uh, I think I will. I probably will. Um, and I'm sure there's already. I actually heard when I was listening to the audio version. Like I have a, it's coming out as an audio book as well. Yeah. Um, and she's she has the same background as myself. She's Swedish. She's married to an Irish guy. She's an author, and she also reads books. Uh, so that's books, cool. Huh? Yeah, audiobooks. Christina Dowling. Um, yeah. No, I, when I was listening to her, I heard, and I realized that oh, I actually there's a time lapse that I changed in the book. So when I heard her say, "Oh, he went there last year." I realized that, oh, no, I've changed that. Yeah. Uh, it was last. It was actually this year. Yeah. Uh, and that was after the editor had had a say on the timeline of the story. So I do. I mean, there's going to be stuff in it that you realize that, oh, I should have done differently there. And that timeline is a bit off. Or why yeah. did she do that? That's just pure stupid. You know, uh, the sense, character yeah. then doesn't make sense. Why would you think that in that moment? That's just pure stupidity. Mm. You know, um, there's always going to be stuff like that, but it's kind of part of the progress as well. I tried to see it as a learning curve that, okay, yeah, now I realized that that was a bit silly. I won't do that again. Well, it's always so, when you have to go back and make changes and then you, re because it's kind of, what do they call it? The butterfly effect. When a butterfly flaps yeah. its wings and this, what happens on the other side of the world? And if you take out one reference or if you change one thing about a character and then you have to think, okay, what, what of all these other 15 chapters, what else do I have mm -hmm. to change? And Jesus, not easy to keep track of either, you know? No, and it could be just two words. Yeah, well, that's you know? it. Like this year, last year, that, that's yeah, it. Like, exactly. you know? 
So the timeline now for the next book is that you want to have the sort of story sorted out by August, right? Because again, mm-hmm. your book was, uh, you had your, your release party there last week, right? We're in the, in the middle of May here, I suppose we'll say, right? But an, an awful lot of work gets done before then in terms of editing, typesetting, production. Oh, it's that so kind of many months of work. The yeah. production takes so long. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so, if you get your story done in August, when do you expect to have the book finished by? Will you have it finished by Christmas in time for for them to start all that other work, or is the timeline a little bit longer for the next book? Do you think? Uh, no, I'd say it's about the same. The editor will start going in, um, in the autumn and uh, do her job, um, and then it'll have to be all those steps. You know, uh, me and her bouncing it back and forth. That takes a few months. Mm. before we agree on the full uh, story um and then people that we'll have to get people to read through and, and finding all the all the faulty commas and all that mm. and then uh the print takes about eight weeks so mm. if you want it out by may you have to send it off for printing at the latest maybe early march yeah so i mean the production line takes it takes a long time to to produce a book yeah i remember uh, uh, p- pitching a book to a publisher that i've worked with before one time and my idea was okay basically i'm gonna do this and we get it out three weeks after and they just laughed me out i was like no yeah. i was going, oh, it has to be possible and they go no it's just not like you know no. you just if you're gonna do it properly you know um, in terms of the third book, then, is that still just, you know, one sentence written down somewhere of this is where I'm going to go? Because often with a trilogy, right, you can have brilliant fun writing the first two books. And then in the third book, you realize, hang on a second, I have to tie all this together somehow. Exactly. You know? So are you do you have any idea what the third book is going to be about yet? Like, do you have any sort of end point in sight or are you just letting it write itself, so to speak? I think it's going to have to be the latter. It's going to have to write itself. Uh, yeah. I'm still struggling with a with a sequel here, but I do have a I do have a a, a plot that I think will be interesting. Um, so I'm thinking that that plot uh, that I've created now for the number two will probably continue a little bit into the number three. Mm. Whereas I have to finish some of the plots from number one. I yeah. have to you know deal with them in this one in the middle book and finish them because mm. I can't be dragging that out in three books. No, no. So it's it's a it's a nice little kind of you know uh, crochet work there, trying to finish some threads and then intertwining them in the right way and not too much and not yeah. too little, not too soon, and not, you know that's why it's so good to have the experts looking at it. Yeah, like an editor with all the professional eyes on it, saying, "Okay, Anna, this doesn't you know come on, you can't just die there. You have to do more. She can't yeah. just you know." Uh, or he is he's been in it for way too long you have to send him off somewhere like kill him off yeah, yeah. kill him off <laughs> do something get her to jump over a cliff or something do, do you but, ever uh, reach one of those points Anna, where sometimes you'll reach like you know you, you get to something you go oh jesus i don't know how i'm gonna get out of this you know and then you might spend a week you know just wandering around the place and you might be in the gym or you might be making the dinner or you might be driving the car and then all of a sudden you go oh yeah that's what i'll do D- does that happen yeah. for you or do you yes. sit there having to bang your head off the keyboard trying to get to these parts well, it's, I mean, again, it's a bit of both. I mean, you try to solve it when you're sitting there because, oh, okay, the kids are, are training and, you know, the yeah. house is quiet. Now I should be doing this. Um, but then, of course, it doesn't really happen because you're trying to force yourself. And then it could be, like you said, like I, I spend a good bit of time in my car because I drive to the consultancy work. So I drive yeah. quite a bit. And uh, I have to stop the car sometimes or I have to use the um, 
the, the Siri thing where you uh, tell her to, can you put down a note for me yeah. uh, while you're driving? So uh, I do that. I actually use that function uh, when I come up with something. Sometimes I dream about how to solve them. That That's is funny. Wild like I wake happens, up in the morning. It? Yeah, it's so weird. It's happened to me a few times. It's like, of course I know what she's going to do now. How didn't I think about that before? And then I realized that I dreamt about it during the, the night before. Yeah. And you just um, get all those things down in, in voice notes or to Siri or whatever. Voice just... notes or anywhere, just anywhere. The, I have notebooks in my uh, backpack and I have this electronic, uh, kind of like an iPad thing, but it's not an iPad, where I put down a lot of my ideas, actually. And I can then email that to myself. So that's really? a great one to have. When you sit down to write, do you write a lot, right? Could you sit down and write five or 10,000 words in a day? Or do you, you know, eat the elephant one bite at a time, as they say? Um, sometimes when I go away, like when I go to Brasov out on the East Coast, I rent the little place for two or three nights mm. in the village. Uh, I then purely just sit down and write. I just buy microwavable food and... I go out for a walk just to stretch my legs, but I actually sit for maybe 12, 14 hours at the time. Jesus. And I get a, I get a lot done then, you know? Yeah. Um, but when I'm at home, I kind of have to just do an hour at the time because there's a family there and mm. I have the other job to be dealing with. So it, it most of the time, I'd say maybe five, between 500 and a thousand words. Yeah. Um, in an evening, maybe. Yeah. Uh, and it also depends on where in the book you're at. If you kind of, if you're stuck, you might just get 300 words down. Yeah. But if you're in a flow, uh, you don't want the evening to end. You know, you just want to continue. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it depends on the, on where in the story you're about. When you look at this, Anna, um, is this something that you'd like to do? Because it's an extremely difficult to, thing to do full time, right? But is this what you would like to do? Would you eventually, you know, when the kids have moved out of that kind of thing, you go, you know what, I might do a bit of consulting on the side, but hopefully now I'm selling 50, 60,000 copies of this kind of thing. Just sit down right full time. Would that be a dream? Or do you still oh, want absolutely. to be? It would be. That would be the thing. If you could get oh, that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the dream would be to get the book translated, of course. I mean, Sweden is Sweden. So we yeah. have 10 million people and I can't expect a lot of people here to like urban fantasy books that I write. Mm. I might get into maybe writing thrillers without the supernatural in it. But even so, it's hard to to uh, to make it as, a, as an author uh, mm. in Sweden. So, I mean, you really have to get translated in order mm. to to get there. So. Uh, hopefully Ireland. <laughs> yeah, never. Would you ever consider yeah. writing in English just in general? You know, would, would you ever consider that? Um, okay, I'll just start in English and get cracking and see what happens. Well, I could try, but I think I'm I'm just afraid that my creative process would kind of get derailed. a bit slower because <laughs> derailed because I'd be focusing. Oh, how do you do that now? And how would you express that? And is that grammatically correct? And yeah, yeah. you know, I'm just afraid that I'd be stuck a bit too much in the language. Um, but one thing is for certain, if I get them translated, I would love to have actually a person like an Irish connection, an Irish person doing it yeah. uh, to get the wit as well. You know, the, it's so yeah. important, small little things, because yeah. I have Irish characters in it yeah. and their sense of humor, they have to be done right. Yeah. So 
that would be very important to me. The same way as I've picked Christina to actually read it because she has that Irish connection. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted that. I want that touch in it. And she's doing it brilliantly. So that is something that I would be looking. Uh, of course, if it's not possible, it's not possible. But it's something I have in the back of my head that if that ever uh happens we have i mean the publisher said we first of all we have to make sure that your book sells in sweden and mm. then we can talk about it uh but it's also a cost of course to to get a book translated so mm. but i mean yes it is a dream long uh, story short yeah <laughs> what's the publisher doing in terms of helping you to reach people because hopefully we'll reach all the irish people in sweden now and all the people have learned swedish since they came here will be buying it by the truckload right but is there are you doing a lot of press are you doing a lot of tv and radio down there in the south of sweden are you doing any national things or that kind of thing? because it can be very difficult as well to get people to give you the time and to get a, an article in the is, newspaper. Yeah. i mean the press release went out there a few days ago and uh the response hasn't been as I was hoping, mm. but I un I also understand that um, there's a lot of authors out there. It's hard to get through. Um, why would they, you know, why would they pick me out of all of them? The kind of thing, you know, yeah, that's, yeah. That when you have a bad day, that's your thoughts. And then when I have a good day, I'm like, oh, I'm going to write to these newspapers myself. So I actually did yesterday. Yeah. So I, I sent it out myself with a personal email to the to the newspapers down here and uh, just presented myself i my publisher is doing what they can i mean that's their they have a marketing department they're sending it mm -hmm. out but then sometimes i have this idea that if you want something done maybe it's better to do it yourself so mm -hmm. i kind of you know I've, I've started thinking about that now trying to reach out yeah. so uh doing book signings like i'm doing in Brasap. uh i'm doing another book signing locally in my village uh next weekend out in the, it's also like a, a gift shop uh, outside of the village. So we're advertising it locally. And I mean, word will hopefully spread. So that's what I'm hoping. And I'm very, very active on Instagram on my author's account. So quite a bit of interactions there. And that's good. I mean, that is, that's where you want to reach out as well. I think social media, um, I mean, I find out with these podcasts and everything else I do, social media is definitely a place where you can get to an awful lot of people yeah. very, very quickly. But on the other side of that, then, you do need other people. And I would say to people who are listening to this in the Swedish-Irish community, right, share this. If you see something on Anna's Instagram or on our story, share the fucking thing, right? Tell the people, you know, the, the boys and girls in your book circle, look, look at, we're going to read this book now because, you know, uh, somebody I know wrote it, somebody from our community wrote this. So, you know, the rising tide does lift all boats. And if you can mm -hmm. reach as many people as possible, Possible. Remind people once again the third of January. Oh, sorry, the third of June in Brasarp, and the name of the tea room is Lady Morris Tea and Gift Shop. Lady Morris Tea and Gift Shop. You see, I could never get all those words in a row myself, right? You're going to be there. What time of the day are you kicking off at there with the book signing? Ten o'clock and I uh, until three o'clock. So you'll be there for five hours. If anybody is around Brussel on that particular day, get down there. If not, keep an eye on Anna's Instagram. I'm going to include the link to Anna's Instagram, a little bit more information about the book. And people can basically, can they buy it online? Can they buy it at Academy Book Handeln and Ad Libris and these places? Ad Libris, Bukus, uh, you can ask for it in your Academy Book Handel. They uh, can bring it in for you then if they don't already have it. You can also send me a PM through Instagram, my author's account. Anna underscore Sevenius underscore Ratigan uh, underscore author. Yes, that's what it is. It's hard. Yeah. yeah, you can send me a PM there 
and you can order, uh, get it straight from me and you get it signed then. There you go, you get but it signed the, as well. And the audiobook will be on all the streaming services as well. Brilliant. And, and of course, for you people yeah. who are 50 plus, it would go and ask your local library, tell them to get it in for you because uh, they'll be able oh, to get absolutely. it in and load it out as well. And hopefully, Anna, I'll get a few quid. Uh, the absolute best of luck, right? As somebody who's written books during the summer when everybody else has been outside on the beach and that kind of thing, I wish you the very best of luck in getting everything done by August. And anything you are doing, get back in touch with us on the Irish and Sweden podcast and we'll let people know. But for now, Anna Savanius Rattigan, author with her new book, uh, Dudley Yod, in the shops now. Thanks very much for talking to me. Thank you so much. Okay, nice talking to you, Phil. There you go now, the wonderful Anna Savianius Rattigan uh, talking about her book. I really enjoyed that conversation. It's great to talk to somebody, especially when you do that kind of thing yourself. And I've written a good few books now and everybody's process is different, right? Everybody does these things differently. And it's always fascinating to talk to somebody like Anna who comes at it from a completely different kettle. I've never once, I've never tried to write anything in terms of science fiction or fantasy or that kind of thing. Like, you know, but uh, it's always fascinating to hear what somebody else's process is like. Now, as you are well aware at this stage, this is a community-supported podcast. Uh, it only exists because you do, and I want to be able to keep making them. And my God almighty, I've been under a bit of pressure lately. It is, let me say, it's half ten on a Saturday night, as I'm putting the last of this together for you. So it's been a busy few weeks, and it's not likely to get any less busy. But uh, if you can help out, uh, swish a few bob to one two three two four two four one six six. That's one two three two four two four one six six, And that goes straight in there, and I have fixed it up with the wonderful Yulia from My Business Controller Aubia and she makes sure that all the VAT is paid and all the taxes are paid in it so it's all above board it's not like giving me a fiver in a pub lads right so if you're going to throw in a few bob via swish it's one two three two four two four one six six, and Yulia will do all the necessary things with the taxes and the other place to go is patreon.com forward slash arrowman in Stockholm patreon.com forward slash arrowman in Stockholm um it would be great if you could become a monthly contributor there, right? You will always get the posts for these podcasts straight into your email inbox. Uh, they always come out at the same time, right? But if you do that, the more people who can support me on a monthly basis, the better it is, right? You'll also get uh, the Global Gale podcast. There's going to be a couple of episodes of the Arrowman and Stockholm podcast coming soon. And there's one or two more episodes of Premier Swedes. I've been speaking to one or two more uh, footballers. So they're going to be coming up as well now over the summertime. So all support is gratefully received. If you have a business as well i'm going to be getting in touch with you now in the near future i'm going to be approaching some of the businesses around the place especially the bigger businesses operating here to see if you would like to financially support it think of it as public service podcasting lads right public service podcasting is csr corporate so corporate social responsibility we're doing something for the community and doing it together so if you can get together with me on that sure jesus i'd be only delighted listen i have taken enough of your time lads and ladies it's been an absolute pleasure i'll be back again next week from Keynes Brewery on Leading Out. That'll be our podcast next week and a few other little bits and pieces. Don't forget to get in touch if you have anything to tell me. If you have an event going on, if your sports team is doing something, if your football club is doing something, if you've written a book like Anna, if you're releasing an album. I, I think actually um, Brian O'Connor might have a new album already with Armadillo King. I must check in with him and see what the story is there as well because uh, they only released an album there about six months ago and we talked about it on the podcast. I think they might have made a new one. So, And if you have any ideas at all for the podcast or for people to talk to. Oh, and I, I must tell you as well that um, Inini, Claire O'Halloran there, who was on last week's episode talking about setting up her wonderful restaurant on Sardar, she sent me a text the other day to say that a couple of listeners had dropped in. I'm delighted with that news, lads. And uh, if you are paying her a visit there, do tell her that the Irish in Sweden podcast 
podcast sent you. But now it really is time to go, right? Take care of yourselves, take care of one another, and I shall talk to you all again next week on the Irish in Sweden podcast. Good luck. <laughs>